a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Man, I'm seeing a few faces I haven't seen in a while. Where you been? You act like there was a global pandemic. What? It's so good, man. I'm loving each week we get together. I'm seeing more and more people that we haven't seen in a long time. You know, one thing I heard this past week, there's a clinical statement that they're using post-COVID. I guess we're still kind of in it with these variants that are out there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not ignorant to realities. But they have a, a, a clinical term for individuals that are living in fear today tied directly towards the COVID pandemic. Does anybody know what it is? Caveman syndrome. Isn't that crazy? People are stuck in their houses, afraid to go out, and they're calling it caveman syndrome. Isn't that crazy? Well, I'll just tell you today, some of you guys broke out from the caveman bondage in Jesus' name. And you were out in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen. Now, if you are walking in sin, it's time to get that sin off of you in Jesus' name. And release. Okay. We'll get to that at the end. Amen, amen, amen. So good to see everybody. Say hello to somebody around you. Let them know you're thankful that they're in church here today. Amen and amen and amen. And y'all can take a seat while you're at that. You're at that. While you're at it. While you're at it. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, we are in uh, week number two, but this is actually week number five of our Wise Up series. Week number two of Life and Living, part number two. I talked about it last week. Last night, last week we talked about, you know, protecting your heart, uh, protecting your head and protecting your hand, being careful in life. You're making wise choices. Uh, This is part number two. We're going to jump in here today. And uh, here's this table coming out that I'm waiting for. Amen. You just pull it right on up. There we go. Hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. All right. Now I can like think straight uh, and not wonder. All right. But we are, uh, we're in this series, Wise Up. And uh, the premise behind this series, um, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor that just wants to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't want to just be up here like, I'm, not a ver- I'm somewhat not a verse by verse guy. There's some churches out there like, we go verse by verse. We go deep into Bible study every single week. I'm like, cool, that's all good in the hood. That's great. Uh, But your services are glorified Bible study. Okay, awesome. I'm not that guy, right? Uh, I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. I'm a leader. I want to be a voice into a generation that is sensitive to the Spirit's leading to talk talk and lead a generation through the complexity of what uh, this generation is facing. Um, if you just get verse by verse, maybe it'll be good in one season, not in another. Um, but I hope that everything that we speak as a church is good in season and out of season, that we know what to speak, what to say, no matter what's going on inside of life. And so this series, Wise Up, has come through the reality of the world in which we live in here today that is immensely complex. Immensely complex, right? In a post-Christian, post-church nation, wow, wow. You know, 50 years ago, 60, 70, 100 years ago, a majority of people that lived in the country were Bible-believing, faith-filled individuals that knew Jesus Christ was the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah, and built their lives around that Christian worldview. Now, here's the, we're, not that, we're not that country anymore. We're a completely different generation. And what you see throughout history is any time that the church has been a minority or Christians has been a minority, the enemy has been able to rally a large group of people to oppress the church. 
Now, the reality is, if we live here today as individuals that are unwise in a generation where what we believe is, um, you know, looked down upon, uh, we look like we have a crutch. I mean, this is one of the arguments they'll make. Uh, you, you know, those Christians, they have a crutch. They, they have this crutch. They don't, can't think for themselves and lead productive lives. You know, they got this crutch. You know, they, they, they need something. It's like, whatever. We know our fallibility. We know our challenges. We realize we can't save ourselves. We realize there's a redemptive work in, that God has for us, and it's through Jesus Christ. And with that, we humbly come before him and give up free will and say we allow him to be our Lord. He paid the price for our eternal salvation. Amen? So it's not we're ignorant. It's we're fully informed. But if there's a generation rising up here today that is being manipulated from birth to believe something that's contrary to truth, it'll be very easy for a generation to raise up absent and void of understanding of the redemptive work of Christ and seek for everything else across the world to bring happiness and pleasure. But here's my belief. We are the most medicated suicidal society that has ever existed in the face of the earth because man's ideas are falling short because we're moving away from God's. And I'm a pastor and I'm a shepherd that wants to speak truth into a generation, no matter how hard it, how hard it is and no matter how we feel about it. This generation has to be told your feelings is the truth. Your feelings are not the truth. Feelings are alive, the enemy, in order to confuse us, in order to manipulate us into behaviors that are contrary to God's will. And so if we look throughout history, this has always been the problem with humanity, that we think ourselves wise. We think ourselves better than the knowledge of God. And then we try to remove ourselves from God, and then God brings destruction down on us. So here today, we got to wise up, and here's the statement in here. Wise up is the series, but if we don't wise, wise up, we won't be able to rise up. This generation, if you are a Christian, you will have to rise up in this generation. Freedom is not free unless you protect it right? So we had a good conversation in here. I know it's hard. I know it's rough. It's tough, but it feels good when you're living in the truth. I'll tell you that right here today. So we're in this series, Wise Up, Rise Up, uh, First Corinthians, or uh, First Proverbs, or First Proverbs, Proverbs 1, there you go, verse number 7, talks about fear of the Lord is the start of wisdom. It's the start of this knowledge and this understanding, fear of the Lord. And so if you want to get a baseline premise for this series, uh, it's going to be right here in Proverbs 1, 7. This is my perspective on what wisdom is. You can't look this up on Google, right? You're not going to be able to go to Google and be like, wisdom, give me a definition for it. This is Pastor Brent's definition on what wisdom is as a shepherd and as a pastor that sees holistically at society and the world, looks through the lens of scripture. And so this is the, the lens in which I look through. Uh, my understanding of what wisdom is, is this. First, it's fear of the Lord. You've got to have your biblical worldview, your Christian worldview. Your Christian worldview informs everything else that you, you get in life. So it's fear of the Lord, biblical worldview, plus knowledge. Now it's knowledge on information that's in the world, whatever field, whatever, uh, wherever it's at that you're getting it from, uh, specifically when it comes to the redemptive work of man and eternity. Uh, you got to have that fear of the Lord that brings you into an understanding that, man, man cannot save itself. It's through God's redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Then you move towards a place uh, of understanding. Now that's understanding. So it's fear of the Lord, lens. I have a Christian worldview. Now I look at knowledge. Now I'm receiving information. Now I'm seeking understanding based on, number one, my fear of the Lord. What does this mean? How does it all come together? That equals wisdom. Wisdom is going to be revealed in its fruit, as Jesus says. 
Wisdom is revealed in its children. Wisdom is revealed in its fruit. So on judgment day, that's when wisdom is going to be revealed, where wise Christians lived in a generation completely informed on its reality, uncompromised in its mission, getting before Jesus, and he either says you're a sheep or a goat. It's revealed in its fruits. We get there, and it's like, oh, you made the right decisions throughout your life, and now you receive eternal life. Wisdom is revealed inside of its fruits. So we'll get there eventually, right? We're going to get to this level of understanding eventually in realizing, but here today, living a righteous life, we should be living a blessed life. As a Christian, a good denominator right there is a blessed life. You should see that inside of our our life. So that is the perspective in which wisdom is revealed. It's through that fear of the Lord, knowledge that you get from every source, wherever it is inside of life. Hopefully you're getting a full knowledge of the Bible and understanding of what God's word is and and what he is speaking to humanity, understanding it, and then moving towards wisdom in the life in which you live. Proverbs is full of wisdom. If you want to wise up, you want to be smart, you want to be a a man or, or a woman that is fruitful in your life, read a Proverbs a day and it keeps the fool away and it keeps foolishness away. If you're like, I'm dumb, all good. Pick up the book of Proverbs and you won't be dumb for very much longer, right? Uh, So get into Proverbs. It is a great book. Now, how many of you guys have ever had a piece of technology in your life before that has changed your life? That this one piece of technology made life easier, simpler, it saved you so much time, whatever it may be. Anybody ever had that technology? Like, And you can think of it right now. It's like the day I got the phone. Amen. I remember in 2006... I got the original iPhone at my house right now sitting in a drawer. I'm like an OG, original adopter of the, the amazing technology, right? I keep, it fascinates me every single time, especially hearing like Jeff Bezos and uh, the other individual that took these short flights into space. And they say there's more technology. I think there's more technology in the iPhone today. It's like 10,000 times the technology that's in an iPhone today is uh, greater than the technology that was in the first spaceship that put man on the moon. Isn't that crazy? You're holding something that's 10,000 times the technology than the first spaceship that put. That's crazy. It fascinates me, right? But this technology, it's very easy technology to improve and increase things. Now, everything inside of life, something can be a benefit to you, but if it's mismanaged, can be a negative. It can, it can be a challenge, right? This device right here gives you access to any information inside of the world. That information could be not accurate. That information could be completely contrary to God's word. That information can be completely sinful. I mean, as you know here today, the, there's a massive uh, um, challenge within this world of desire and easy access to things that are out there that all of humanity struggles with, just, not just man, not just men, but women also at the same rate here today in this generation, which is interesting, but it can be destructive also. Now, here's my technology that I just got yesterday. Here's an ember, amen, an ember coffee cup. Anybody know what an ember coffee cup is? Amen, okay. Smiley's over here shaking his head, okay? Yes, okay, in Jesus' name. Now, if you do not know what an ember coffee cup is, this coffee cup right here, it'll tell you exactly. See if it turns on, hello. This coffee cup right here, will tell you exactly the temperature of your cup. And it'll keep the temperature exactly where you want it to be. Isn't this awesome? It's awesome right here. 
The first time I used it was today, actually this morning at 5 a.m. I entered the, the, the liquid into that cup. I have it at 125 degrees. Every time I go to take a drink, it's going to give me a 125 degree temperature inside of that cup. You say, Brent, you are so uh, um, blessed. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. <laughs> Heather and I, we are coffee drinkers. And one of the things we hate is we use a French press. That French press, you got to push it down. It produces coffee. If it sits there for too long, the temperature drops. Now you got to put it into a coffee cup to go in the microwave to raise the temperature to put it back in your Yeti cup because the Yeti cup is useless and let the temperature is exactly what you want it to be whenever it comes into You get what I'm saying, okay? We're coffee snobs, okay? That's all I'm saying. We're coffee snobs, right? <laughs> and so we bought these cups for our birthdays. It was our birthday gifts to each other. We're like, man, we want this. It's going to keep these temperatures right and all this other deal. But here's the deal about this coffee cup. And it, it was just a big revelation to me and why we're going into Proverbs, why we're reading this book. This thing right here, I set the temperature. I tell this cup what I want my liquid at. When, I, when it touches my lips, I want to be at this temperature because that's the best temperature that I, I enjoy. The thing about this cup is it's just like our lives. Each one of us can set the temperature and the expectations of the quality of life we want to live in. Here's the thing about Proverbs and wising up and God's word and providing these, this wisdom to us. God's word will take us either from hot to just write in his eyes, or cold to just write in his eyes, it'll move us up or down. You don't go to a coffee shop and they say, hey, would you like a lukewarm coffee? What they say is, do you want it hot or do you want it cold? You know what Jesus says about Revelations 3 about the church in Laodicea? You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm and God spits you out, right? Here's the reality. We are living in a complex world. We have challenges all around us. If we do not have a desire to set the temperature on how we are going to live, we're going to live passionately for Christ. We're going to live on point with his righteousness. We're going to set the temperature right there in holiness, in righteousness, man, in goodness. We want the fruit to be flowing out of us inside of our lives. If we don't set that temperature, maybe, just maybe, we'll be cold for way too long or we're going to be way too hot for way too long. We won't be living as God has called us to live. If in life and living, we have to set the expectation on what the quality of life is that we want to live. We got to say, we want to live according to God's standard. We want to live according to his word. And when we do that, now we can jump into the word. And if we're cold, God's going to say, hey, inside of your life, here today, you're too harsh. You're too cold. Your heart is hardened inside of your life. You're not operating in love. You're operating in judgment. You are living in a world of compromise and, and, and uh, ju- um, uh, of envy of somebody else's life. And you need to change that about your heart to elevate the temperature to be in alignment with my life. Hey, you're operating a hate and anger inside of your life. You're being way too hot headed inside. You got to bring that down a little bit, bring that passion inside of life down a little bit, get in alignment with God's word so that you can be just right in accomplishing what he's called us to do. Amen. So let's jump in here today. Um, number one, if you want to write it down, let's look at wisdom in sexual purity. Oh, You say, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Well, here's the deal. The first 10 chapters of Proverbs, three and a half of them are devoted towards adultery. Three and a half of them are talking about sexual purity. Three and a half of them. The first 10 bucks, right off the bat, be careful for this area of your life. Be, Be cognizant of it. If you look inside of humanity, everybody's got a desire for love. 
Everybody has a sexual desire inside of their life, every single one of us. It can either be a beautiful thing that honors God or it can be a completely corrupted thing that honors ourself. It is selfish, it is sinful, it is destructive. Either we're on one side, of the, one side or the other of the equation. Now, one of the greatest stories that you can read on this is a story of David in this. And I'm just gonna jump into this and we'll dive into it. Um, but he, it says this in 2 Samuel verse number, or chapter 11, verse number one. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab to uh, his servants with him and all, of, all, all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened, verse number two, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house he, uh, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Here's the deal. You can find inside of this story that David was supposed to be one place. King David was supposed to be off in battle, was supposed to be conquering. David is known as this incredible warrior. From a very young age, he's skilled in what he can do. He's courageous in what he does. I mean, he brought down Goliath, took down bears, took down lions. He's courageous. He is skilled. He is talented. But like everybody inside of this room, it doesn't matter how talented you are. There's still this thing that is out there that is called desire in this area of sexuality or sexual purity. There's this desire that is there. And it says inside of here, while other kings were off, while, while people are off to battle, David found himself back in the palace. What is it? He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's skilled. He's talented. He's won battles before. He should be off winning another battle, but he's back in. He's back in the palace. Now here, what is he doing? He's distracted. David's distracted at this moment in time. For whatever reason, David is distracted. What is David not doing? David's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And when he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, he finds himself up on the top of the palace overlooking the kingdom like, I'm the man. Now, here's the deal. There's two different things you can look at inside of here. And I'm not going deep in the trenches today. But what I will say is this. There's two perspectives on this. There's David distracted, not doing what he's supposed to be doing. There's Bathsheba, her husband being away, knowing that she's going up on the top of this terrace to bathe in this hot sun in eyesight of the palace. There's two things I wanna talk about inside of here and specifically in this story. One, are you distracted inside of your life not doing what God has called you to do, open and vulnerable and susceptible to the temptation that the enemy would have bring in your life? Two, are you an individual here today that is using your assets in order to unrighteously, unrighteously fulfill your needs in your life? There's two different perspectives, both of which we got to manage and be responsible for. Each one of us have our lives and our living, and we are called to a certain level of expectation. Each one of us have this desire inside of our lives, but it either can be used to glorify God or it is being used today in order to selfishly, sinfully uh, supply a need for us and get something that we want that is out of alignment with God's will. The first thing I see in here is David is in the wrong place. He should be off at war. The second thing I'm seeing in here, he was looking for the wrong things. It says he went up on the top of that terrace and he looked out. Come on, you heard me say it before. You can see it once, but you got to nod that head and look on in Jesus' name. 
right? The first one's for free. The second one's for me. That's how I say it. I live my life this way, right? You can't go anywhere inside of our society today, it doesn't matter who you are, and not have sexual temptation thrown right in front of your face. You can't go anywhere. So the first one's for free, men and women. I'm talking to both of us today. The first one's for free. Oh, Lord, goodness gracious. The Lord has blessed them with some assets and or they've had surgery to bless them with assets. Okay. <laughs> first one's for free. Recognition. What do you see? Oh, you saw it. You're human. Good job. The second time you go back and look is a reality on are you sinful or are you righteous? The Holy Spirit will correct you because immediately when you see, you're like, good Lord. <laughs> Let's be, I'm just being honest today, all right? I'm the real deal, Holy Field. We're going to tell it like it is, right? The first one, like, good Lord, okay. The Holy Spirit then steps in and says, I don't want my hand to cause me to sin. I don't want to look upon something in lust because it's adultery. Okay, cool. Man, I don't want to do that. I want to live righteously. So you get the Holy Spirit that corrects that. Now for operating in sin, it's like, I don't know if I got a good enough look to see if they really are a sinner because I might need to talk to them to save them. You'll justify a second look. Don't get me wrong. You'll justify it. Oh, if I just look again, maybe it'll give me greater clarity to understand if really they are. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it definitely is. I'm pretty sure, yeah. That's where we're at. David was looking for it. Obviously, his heart was already in the wrong place. You ever been in that place where you aren't, you know, you're not looking for anything. You're not looking for it. There's an innocence on the inside of your life. You have no reality of what is inside of your hand. I, I, always, uh, I always think it's funny that you can find individuals. You ever heard the stories of the individuals that go to an antique shop? They buy this painting, and they take it home. They buy it for 10 bucks. They take it home, and they start looking at it. They're like, man, this is, I think this is one of those, like, this is from like a Picasso or something like that. And they go get it checked out, and it's like, no, this is from Picasso. This $10 painting that the antique store didn't realize the value on is actually worth $100,000. The person, the antique store had no reality on the value of what they had. They had no understanding of it. But the moment there was revelation on the understanding, now all of a sudden it has greater value. We're taking care of it now. We're like really like, oh my gosh. If we, if we don't understand the reality of what this sin does, the Bible tells us that no other sin so clearly affects the body like sexual sin. If we don't know what we're dealing with, there will be no revelation of the responsibility it takes behind it, the care that we need to have behind it. Like, it's a big deal. It's a big issue. It's a big challenge in our culture. It's a big issue inside of our lives. And if we don't understand the reality of sexual purity and the power that it has to affect us, to compromise us, to lead us down destructive paths, we will never treat it with the attention that it desperately needs to keep us in alignment with God's will. Every single one of us, David was looking for it. He went out and he saw it. And then what does he do? He moves in and says, hey, I need to go like check out, go check on so-and-so. Go check on Bathsheba, see, see how, she, how she's doing. He checks in on her. Like, hey, this is, this is Bathsheba. They give her reports. This is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of so-and-so, and she is the wife of Uriah. He knows who Uriah is. He knows Uriah's off at battle. He has the information now to make a decision to say, you know what? I don't want to do this. He looked with the wrong eyes. He inquired with the wrong heart. 
the Holy Spirit, you know, was in the mix of that to say, David, don't do this. You know the path that it leads down. What is it? I would say in here is he went against his conscience. When you go against your conscience, it never goes well. It never goes well. What does he do? He says, bring Bathsheba over here. Bring her up to the palace. He went against his conscience. He had the wrong heart, the wrong motives, and he acted upon that. He brought Bathsheba in. They had their, uh, they had their time together. And uh, essentially, <laughs> essentially, she would become pregnant. Here's the deal. Man, when you act on sin and there is challenges that come out of it, rather than just coming to this place and saying, God, forgive me, I repent of my sin and get back in alignment, the worst place you can be is running, trying to cover up and hide from your sin because it only gets worse. Somebody inside of here, you may be walking in sexual sin today. You realize what I'm talking about. You're like, yep, I've been there, walk down that road, and the consequences are destruction. In the cover-up, Man, there's so many, like one sin is one sin, but in the cover-up, he's lying. He's got the wrong heart. He's manipulating his challenge. He gets more, Uriah to come back from battle, and he's like, hey, go home to your wife, so hopefully that he could have intercourse with her, and then, then he can cover up that it was like, Uriah, this is your baby, not ba- my baby, you know. You the baby daddy, not me, not me, not me. Uriah's like, no, he's an honorable man. He doesn't go against his conscience. He's like, my men are off to battle. I can't go back and be with my wife when all my men are like at battle. I'm not going to do that. He sleeps at the gate the first night. David gets upset. Uriah comes back. He's like, hey, well, just hang out here for a day or two. Rest up. What does David do? He gets him drunk. He's like, maybe I can compromise him whenever he's a little like not right in the head. You know, he's a little, you know, tipsy, a little, uh, I'm not going to try to understand what the, he's a little, uh, okay, buzzing. There he's, he's buzzing a little bit. But what happens? Uriah's like, no, I'm not going to compromise. I, don't, I, mean, I may have a little bit too much to drink, but I'm going to sleep right here on the floor. Why? Because I'm not going to compromise my conscience and my integrity. I'm not going to go home to be with my wife. Uriah would go back to war. David would set it up that he would be too close to the, the enemy. They would shoot arrows and kill him. And David set it up. It started in this place to get a desire out in sexuality, you know, this sexual need that he had and, and the selfish thing that he was doing. And it ends in the death of Uriah. Here's the deal with sexual sin. It may be fun for a while, but there's always consequences. There is always consequences. I don't need to talk about the consequences. There's children out of wedlock. Usually individuals that operate in sexual sin outside of marriage don't have a commitment towards that individual at that moment in time. It's just a momentary you know, fleshly desire. There's children that come out of that, children that are raised with, you know, without their biological dad in the home or a single mom or a single dad, whatever it may be in those dynamics. And children are growing up within, in that complex uh, home without the natural needs they have and a father and a mother in, the, in their lives challenges them. Look at our society, go look up the statistics on what this looks like in our society. But this is a massive challenge that means immense responsibility. What happens inside of this is a man, Nathan, would come and speak to David. He would lay out a scenario and say, hey, David, listen to this story. Listen to how this story plays out. The story would go like this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there was two men in a certain city, the, the one rich and the one poor, and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little uh, ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it, uh, he brought it up, and he grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat uh, of his morsel and drink from his cup. 
and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to the man uh, who has done this deserves to die. Sorry, uh, to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Skipping, uh, moving to verse number seven, Nathan looks back at David after telling this story and seeing the anger come out of him. And Nathan says to him, you are the man. This is you. I'm telling a story of your infraction. Now you talk about in a generation that can't be told anything. The pride of, can't tell me nothing. Everything I do is right. David's getting a direct confrontation right here. You sinned, you've fallen short, and there's no better way to get some conviction to go down whenever you tell a story that somebody's like, that's unright, that's not right. You're like, well, that's exactly what you did. You're like, ugh. I meant like, you know, it's cool sometimes, you know. You don't understand the circumstances. Verse number 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. This is the reality. There's consequences to the decisions we make in sin. It's fun for a season, but the reality, there's consequences to a sinful life. There is death. There is destruction. It may be death to your own spiritual life. This is a physical death to a child that was born out of this sin. But you could have literally today, you're walking in sin, not being responsible with the sexuality that you have, these desires that are on the inside of you. You're acting out of alignment. And today you have a, a death inside of your soul, a death of your faith, a death of your relationship with Jesus because you're prioritizing this sexual sin in your life over a righteous pursuit of God. The second thing I talked about inside of here is there's David in this desire, but there's also Bathsheba taking these assets and throwing them right up in front of the king, David. Now, it doesn't explicitly or overtly say this inside of the scriptures, but I think it is a reality inside of our generation that is worth noting. It's a perspective that I've heard from a biblical scholar, but he says this, Bathsheba clearly knew what she was doing. She knew she had assets, she knew she was beautiful, and she presented herself at the right time in front of King David. It was a temptation. Let me just tell you today, if you're Fabio inside of here and you got some assets because you've been working out, praise God for those assets, okay? If you're in here today and you, you keep your, you know, rocking and rolling, you got a natural beauty or whatever it is, and you're keeping your, your body fit and all that, don't be unwise about your life. There's discretion you can take and how you present yourself, whether you are a man or a female. You clearly understand that you don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody, as the word says. Everything's permissible. You can do whatever you want. Don't get me wrong. God's given you free will. But are you a person that operates in discretion inside of your life, that the way you want to live your life is to honor God in your appearance and your presentation, how you, you, know, per, you know, put yourself together every single day? Do you need, you know, do you need the dress to go down that low? Do you need the button-up shirt to go down to your belly button? It's just why, you know, do you need that, right? There's a purity that should be about our lives to say, we want to present ourselves in a manner that would honor God. 
We don't want to tempt people around us. I don't need to use my assets to get something inside of my life. I want to be pure in my presentation. I want to be modest in my presentation, as Paul would write in Corinthians. Be modest in our presentation. We live in a culture here today that says, hey, wear it how you want to wear it. Do it how you want to do it. There is no discretion. And what do we have? In the church, we can have the very same presentations in the church that we are getting in the club. The very same presentation. I got assets. Hopefully, you know, I don't know this. I got a need inside of my life. I'm being unwise in my presentation. And now I'm creating temptation for what? 10 guys around me, four girls around me, unwise in my presentation. This is the real reality. We're talking real talk right now, okay? I'm being dad right now. Maybe your dad didn't sit down with you. Maybe your mom didn't sit down with you and say, hey, you probably want to change the presentation of your life. You're putting things on display and you're a stumbling block to everybody else around you. You can sit back and be like, well, that's their responsibility. Obviously, they're sinners and they're like doing that. We can, get, we can do that. We can justify pridefully. Well, it's not my fault. I mean, I just want to look good and I just want to be valued. No, you're carrying a spirit that probably wants to compromise somebody's purity. That's probably what's going down. And rather than being honest with yourself, you're justifying it because you want, you want to be loved. You want people to look with that eye of like desire rather than saying, God, I want to present myself towards you, honorable, holy, presentable towards you. This is my body. I want to present it well. You know what scripture would tell us? Scripture would tell us this and. 1 Corinthians 6, I'll read down. I'm not going to read all of it. Verse number 18 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, uh, Im, sexual immor, immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Not from you, from God. You are not your own, as he says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Present yourself holy and acceptable. Real talk? Welcome to Pearl Street Church. Number two, wisdom and jealousy. Wisdom and jealousy. We got wisdom and sexual purity we got wisdom and jealousy. The story I'll jump in here today and one of the greatest stories you can look at in jealousy is the story in Genesis 37 of Joseph. Joseph is the youngest brother in Jacob's family. It says this in verse number two, Joseph being 17 years old was pasturing the flock with his brothers. Skipping down verse number three, further down, it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, Israel, Jacob, the same guy. And he made him a robe of many colors. Now you may know this story, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably or peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Goes on to say, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves 
and we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaves arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Ah. Now what I see in this story, I see an unwise father. That's what I see is the first thing I see. An unwise father that was treating his youngest son different than all his other kids. Now, if you're a parent inside of here, you may understand this. You have a certain connection that may be greater with one kid than is with the other kid. What does it take? Wisdom to have discretion to say, I'm treating them exactly the same. Heather says this all the time. I just have an affinity with Ella. She's just like my, my best friend. Now, here's the deal. Bryn is exactly like her, our other daughter, like exactly like her. Ellis is like me. She's so kind and sweet and caring thoughtful. I'm going to start saying all the things that I, I virtue, my virtues. She's like, I just have this affinity with Ellis and oh, but sometimes Brynn, it's just so hard because oh, she's so different and challenging and she's aware now that she's just like me. <laughs> saying herself. The temptation though and that, that, that tension there is, I want to treat one because there's this greater affinity differently. Anybody have a favorite? There's clearly a favorite in your family. You're a sibling, and there's clearly a favorite in your family. Anybody? Right? All the emotions that come with that, right? Maybe you are the favorite. Anybody the favorite in your family? Come on, let's shame them right now. Shame them in Jesus' name. Shame them. You don't even know the struggle in Jesus' name. You don't even know the struggle. You should be, you should be praying for us right now and interceding for us, oh, favored ones. But the emotions that come with that, right? The parent has to have discretion to say all are treated equally, though I may have an affinity with one more. There's just something that clicks and vibes. It's, it's the challenge of a parent to say, oh, I'm going to treat you both the same, but you're really driving me nuts and I really have an affinity here. Ugh. What do you have? Jacob or Israel, one and the same, not using the right discretion. Everybody's got to wear clothes. But for the youngest son that he's got affinity with, go create this, this coat of many colors. You know how much this coat costs? A lot of money. Jacob's out there, or uh, Joseph's out there with this coat of many colors just like sporting it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You ever get those nice, like the, like, you feel like, man, I got the right kicks on today. You're like, yeah. You got the right pop. You're moving, right? That's Joseph. He's moving around like, daddy loves me. I don't know what you guys did wrong, but daddy loves me. And it's creating this tension inside of the family, so much so that tension is building up inside of their hearts. I think there's a mismanagement from a father that has created this reality. But if you look into the story, there's tension built up on the inside of some brothers that are now getting jealous. Hatred is rising up on the inside of their heart and their lives. And where hate sits and roots inside of a heart, there will be a plan to aggressively go against whoever it is that this tension is building up in. So what you find in here is that Joseph would go off to find his brothers as they are, uh, they're tending to the flock. And as they see him a long way off, we jump in verse number nine, it says, then he, then he dreamed another dream and told them, no, sorry, in verse number 18, it says, they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against to kill him or to uh, conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the pit. 
unwise dad is the first thing, but then you get brothers that looked at what they didn't have rather than what they did have. You looked at these brothers that started focusing on what they didn't have rather than focusing on what they did have. You know, the challenge inside of our life, if you look at the mismanagement of a father and the discretion that comes inside of there, is also the personal discretion as brothers or sisters or just individuals in our generation. We can begin to look at life in the eyes of what we don't have rather than what we do have. One of my great, you know, it's a challenge that I struggle with inside of my life. When I'm facing some of the greatest fears inside of my life, the greatest challenges inside of my life, where I don't feel like I have enough. I feel like I'm not enough, that man, this thing's gonna overtake me, or man, I'm living in like fear of this responsibility. I've been asked to do something more. Maybe as a pastor, I'll just be honest with you, as a pastor, as we're growing, and I gotta change the organization to, to be something different as pastor and shepherd of this house, I gotta lean more into the business stuff so that we don't foil through all the operational side of it, but I gotta lean in on the minister stuff and make sure I'm leading and shepherding the staff as we're moving through this, but there's less connection with people that are just hosting on a daily basis because now there's a greater responsibility inside of my life. Now we got to think out the future, maybe 12 months in advance rather than a month in advance. Now, and all of what comes with this, it's very easy to be here like, I can jump on social media and be like, why don't I have the ability of this guy? Well, why isn't our church doing it like that? Why? why? And what is that thought? And you may, it's the age old adage. The grass is always greener on the other side. I begin to look at what I don't have. I begin to look at what I can't do and stop looking at the one that has provided it all. The one that has seen us through to this moment in time that has blessed us, that has poured in. And I'll tell you today, it may be a challenge that we walk through when we live in a world around jealousy that we can start looking through eyes of what we don't have rather than what we do have. Looking through eyes on what God has done, we look at what maybe he's still working to do. This is the eyes of the brothers. Look, we don't have those coats. Look, we don't necessarily have the favor of our father. Let's go ahead and deal with this issue. Let me tell you today, if you're looking with eyes of jealousy, there is hatred seated inside of your heart. There is resentment that is seeding down inside of your heart. And more than likely, you are already devising a plan to move against those that have more than you or your perception are greater than you. Maybe you can't physically do something, but you are rationalizing it in your head. You jump online, you're like, oh, I can't believe her. You know, she's just a sinner. She's just a hood rat, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know him, he doesn't have to work for anything. You know, he comes from money. You know, they just have all set up for him. He ain't have to do no work like me. What do we do? We start hatred in our heart to then judge a situation in assumption that's inaccurate that now is harboring this pain in our heart and stifling us from the growth that God has for us. If we're looking through lens of what we don't have, we will always live in a place of lack. If we're looking through lens of, man, what we do have, God can always bless and pour into us, right. right? We serve a generous God. If we live with the right perspective, man, God can bless us. Now, here's the beautiful thing here today. In this story of killing a brother and working this plan, if you read all the way down through the story, what happens? Joseph ends up second in command over all of Egypt and provides for the entire family and the children of God for 400 years down in Egypt. God says that he works all things together for the good of those who love and serve him. Men, for believers, we believe that doesn't matter where we are at, God is working it together for our good. He works everything together for our good. We serve a good, good God, a good, good God who has plans to prosper us, to give us a hope inside of a future, 
Man, where we are at, we thank God for where we are. We thank God for the blessings of what we have. Thank God for what he's poured into our lives. Not looking through our eyes of, man, the grass is greener on the other side. We're going to live in a world to say, God, keep on watering my grass. Keep on pouring into my world, man. And so as I do that, I'm going to keep on helping people. Ooh, Lord, I said, yes, Lord. Keep on helping people in Jesus' name water their grass. Amen? The last thing I'll leave you with is this. Wisdom in living. The whole t- purpose of why we're ha- we have this series is that you and I would rise up. You and I would rise up in this generation. You and I would no longer walk in ignorance. You and I would allow the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to transform our lives and we would be something in a generation. We wouldn't be the victim of a generation. We wouldn't just go with the flow of a generation, but we would rise up with principle and virtue and, and values to say, we know what we stand for. We know what we believe. Regardless of what you are doing, we're gonna move in the direction of holiness and righteousness. doesn't matter what the world is doing. Ephesians 4, write this in verse number 17. It says, now this, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in fertility of their minds. They are drunkened in their understanding or darkened in their understanding, alienated, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. What is this saying? They have a hard heart towards God, so they're ignorant in their living in life. They're walking in darkness. This scripture is speaking. I mean, if you want to put it into the context of today, look through this scripture. Look, let that be the lens, the fear of the Lord, God's word as you look towards life. We have a generation that is darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Pushing God away, not allowing a transformation through the Holy Spirit on the inside of their lives, not accepting a new life in Christ Jesus, but just keep on doing the same things over and over. Generational dysfunction from one generation to the next generation. My dad's an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. My mom is this. I am that. Never stepping to the light and receiving the transformative power of Jesus Christ. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. What do we talk about here today? This sexual, sinful sin, sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity, unholy, unrighteousness is essentially what it's saying. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through what? Deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I'll stop right there. It is unwise to keep on living in darkness. It is unwise to have a callous heart towards God. You can be a new creation in Christ Jesus. You can accept the the newness of what God has, the transformative power to change your desires. You say, well, I've always had this. I've always thought this way. Well, good. 
Because Jesus Christ says you can be a new creation in Christ Jesus. You no longer have to live the same way. Push away from the lie of the enemy. Push away from the lie of culture. You can be transformed into God's likeness. All the desires of unrighteousness, unholiness can be transformed. You can be a new creation. We are the only faith that operates transformative power. So can we accept Jesus today or do you want to keep on living as you're living? Do you want the redemptive work of Christ on the inside of your life here today to be a new creation in Christ Jesus? Pushing away from the old, stepping into the new? Maybe you are. You've lived this in this sexual sin. Maybe you're a, a porn addict. Maybe you're a person that just, you just want to do as you do, operate as you want to operate, however you want to do it. No bounds on any type of sexual purity. It's when you feel it, you go do it. But there's no bounds, there's no purity, there's no, there's no order around it. God has set a clear order. Sex is for marriage. Between a man and a woman, it's clear. Do we wanna live in the bounds of God or do we wanna present ourselves according to the world standards? Defiled. Destructive. Come on, there's wisdom in your living. Your wisdom in living is living righteously. Wisdom in living is saying, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. No longer justifying bad behaviors, but stepping into the newness of God to say, I wanna be all that he's called me to be. He is my, my focus. I'm setting the temperature on my life on righteousness and holiness. That's where I wanna be. My body is a temple. I don't wanna operate in jealousy. I'm not here to be jealous of anybody else. I wanna live according to God's standard for my life. I wanna be thankful for what he's placed in my heart. I want to love the world. Every, if y'all you want to stand up with me, I just want to ask a question. I want to make sure that we are all good here today because the wisdom in living is walking away from the darkness of our lives and receiving Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. He is the only person that claimed to be God in human form and then actually does not have a death place, a burial site. He was raised to life. There's been many to claim it, one to fulfill it. His name is Jesus Christ. He lived 2,000 years ago. He was God in the flesh, lived perfectly. He lived and faced all that we faced, all temptation, yet he did not sin. He was the righteousness of God. He was the, the, the perfect example for us. And today, if we receive him, the word of God tells us that we shall be saved. But it takes us walking away from darkness. Man, I'll tell you, it feels good to live in sin. Don't get me wrong. It feels really good. But I'll tell you today, the best way we can live is honorable towards God. With the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, with the Holy Spirit uh, moving in our hearts and in our lives, transforming us, that is the best way to live. And I'll tell you today, if you only know one way to live and that's sin, why not try a new life in Christ Jesus? Why not push away from the things that have brought destruction and step into a new life that can bring life, health, healing, and God's blessing on you? So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I wanna move from death to life. I wanna move from the world standard to God's standard. I wanna move my heart from a place of doing according to my will and I wanna step into God's will. The Bible's very clear. 
Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. That we've all fallen short of the glory. We've all sinned and fallen short. But through Christ Jesus, we can be saved. So every head up and every eye wide open, if you want to receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you want to move from death to life. This is your responsibility. This is your choice. You don't get to heaven and say, you know what? I, you know, I, I just didn't have my mom tell me. No more excuses. Maybe you're sitting here today and this is your one chance you get. Jesus has been pursuing you. He's been running hard after you. This is your one chance you get to say yes to Jesus. You showed up here today knowing you needed something. You didn't know what it was, but you're sitting here today and you're like, oh, this is it. I've been looking for this all my life. You have been. And so has Jesus. He's been looking for you all your life. This could be the moment that you meet your creator that changes everything for you. Every head up, every eye wide open. If you want to go from death to life, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. Give up your free will and step into the kingdom of God that he is Lord. He sets the standard. He changes your life. You move into a place of rather than moving by desire, you move in order. You move by God's commandment. You move by his word. Now's your decision. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Hands all over the room. This is a beautiful place. Whether you are rededicating your life to Christ or you are giving your life to him for the first time. Either way, when we, when we stop this prayer at the end, you, you committed your life to him. You confessed in your mouth, Jesus, the Lord, and you are saved. Your name's right there. There's an angel up there writing your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. As soon as we end this prayer, there's a party going on in heaven. Pearl Street Church, we're here to see unchurched people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to lead them in this manner. So when we finish this prayer, can you help me out as Pearl Street Church? Can you give it up for everybody saying yes to Jesus for the first time? And if you raise your hand right now, let's all say this prayer. Say, Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your living. We thank you that you face sin and you did not succumb. We thank you that you conquered death, hell, and the grave. We believe you are the Son of God. You are the Savior of the world. That you gave your life willingly and you paid the price for my sin. I declare today you are Lord over my life. You are Lord over my heart. And today, I want you to come in and change my life. Make me new today. Make me the new creation in your name. Say, I'm gonna commit to follow you. No matter what I face, what do I walk through, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. To my last breath, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give it up for everybody. Say yes to Jesus today. Amen and amen. Amen.